All right, good morning, everybody. Um, Let me begin in a word of prayer as we uh, start our morning together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, this time that we get to come together, Lord, as your people and hear from you. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, instruct us according to your word. I pray that as we this morning look at this topic of your Holy Spirit, Lord, that, uh, that you would make us... Uh, humble before your word, teachable under it, Lord, and help us to be students of your word, Father. I I pray that your Holy Spirit would illumine the word to us so that it's, uh, that it makes sense to us, that it's understandable, but also that it's authoritative and sufficient for our lives as well. I pray, Lord, that you'll minister to your people and speak to us, show us Christ, even as we look at the Spirit. I pray that He would still be the, the uh, highlight, uh, the, uh, the core of all that we say and do this day. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning we're continuing our series on the Holy Spirit. And uh, like I said uh, the last, uh, last week, uh, that these few next few weeks are going to be um, more of the details of looking at the Holy Spirit. We're going to be looking at His ministry uh, in our lives, especially in the life of the Christian and in the life of the church. So that's what we're looking at uh, today and in the weeks to come. We're going to be getting into especially uh, some of the more, whether you want to call it, misunderstood or controversial topics regarding the Holy Spirit, we're going to get into those, and hopefully we've been laying the, the foundation uh, for, for that um, in the past weeks. But in the weeks to come, we're going to be looking at uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, uh, the fullness of the Holy Spirit, uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and things along those lines. Those, those topics where maybe there's confusion or uh, controversy, or maybe you've just grown up hearing another teaching, and I think for, for some of us, maybe that's where we're at. We, we grew up knowing or learning different things about the Holy Spirit and His ministry and having these words like baptism of the Holy Spirit, and it's a loaded term for some um, because of your past. And what, what I want to do is uh, just replace that. Maybe you know that, well, that stuff, uh, some of the the... The heavy charismatic stuff is not right, it's not the right view of the Holy Spirit, but maybe you haven't been instructed in what is correct, what is biblical, and so I hope that this will aid you uh, in that. So today we're looking at the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and uh, we always have kind of a theme verse uh, for each morning. Today it comes from John 14, verse 16 and 17. John 14, verse 16 and 17 says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, that he may be with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him or know him. And then here's where we're going to focus. You know him because he abides with you and will be in you. So that's what we're looking at this morning. We're going to be looking at this change of the economy of the Holy Spirit. Um, First of all, uh, the Holy Spirit is not a new entity or a new person 
or a new doctrine uh, in the New Testament. Uh, he has been referred to and, and described uh, throughout the Old Testament. He speaks throughout the Old Testament, as we learn from Jesus and the authors of the New Testament. The Holy Spirit is the one who speaks as you read the Old Testament, as the Old Testament was written. So he's not new, so you know him. Also, he abides with you and will be in you. So there's a present tense. And there's a future tense, right? The present tense is right now, uh, before Christ, you know, died and was buried and rose again, uh, and before he sent the Spirit at Pentecost, he was with them. He was with the saints. But there is coming a time, and that begins at Pentecost, uh, there was coming a time uh, when he wouldn't just be with God's people, he would be in God's people. And that is the doctrine of indwelling, where the Holy Spirit resides within the believer. Now, first of all, we need to get the background uh, to understand how special it is for us to have the Holy Spirit within us. We need to see what it it always used to be. So we're going to look at the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. Now, the first thing that we... Notice when we look at the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament is that indwelling was rare. So it's not that it never, ever happened, but it was extremely rare. We can point to just a few instances for sure. There might be one or two more possible, but uh, that's an inferred uh, conclusion from these other texts. So we're going to look at a few of these certain ones from the Old Testament, where the Holy Spirit indwelt uh, someone. So, uh, the first one comes from Numbers 27, verse 18. It says, So Yahweh said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. So we have Joshua is a man in whom is the Spirit. So the Spirit was in Joshua. That's indwelling, right? And we, what we learn here is that uh, God set aside Joshua, right? And he was going to be the successor of Moses. He was going to be the future leader of Israel after Moses died. And because of that, because of that special role and uh, uh, function of Joshua, special place in the nation of Israel. The Holy Spirit indwelt him, it says here. Uh, So it seems to be for a specific role, for specific leadership roles especially. Uh, We see also in Ezekiel 2, verse 2 and 3, here's another instance. Here's another instance uh, where we see the rare indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And it says, And as he spoke to me, The Spirit entered me and caused me to stand on my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. So here in Ezekiel 2, we see that this Holy Spirit entered Ezekiel in order order for him to confront rebellious Israel. That's where the next verse goes. Verse 3, 
Then he said to me, Son of man, I am sending you to the sons of Israel, to a rebellious people. A rebellious people who have, who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed me uh, to this very day. So because they are rebellious, and because Ezekiel was set aside to speak prophetically, uh, to rebuke Israel in their rebellion, the Holy Spirit knew the task at hand, and so he knew that he had to fill Ezekiel, and this is what he did. He entered uh, into, uh, indwelt the prophet Ezekiel. What's interesting about this is that this is in Ezekiel 2, verse 2 and 3. We see in Ezekiel 3, verse 24, that this happens again. Let me show you. Ezekiel 3, 24 says, The Spirit then entered me and caused me to stand on my feet, and he spoke with me and said to me, Go, shut yourself up in the house, and so on. And it goes on to give a prophecy. So, these are two separate occasions. It's clear from the, the text. These are two individual separate occasions. We, if we have in verse, chapter 2, verse uh, 2, the Spirit entered me, right? And then if we have again in chapter 3 at the end in verse 24, the Spirit then entered me, we have two separate indwellings of the Holy Spirit in Ezekiel. If that's true, then what we learn in the, uh, from this is that in the Old Testament, indwelling, this, and this is a point we'll get to in a moment, it was temporary. So it was rare in, in the life of Ezekiel. I'm getting ahead of myself, but uh, it, we see already it's, there's something different about it because it happened and then it happened again. And so if, it, if, you, if somebody enters a room and then you say, well, then, and then the next day he entered the room, that means that sometime in between those two events, they were outside of the room, right? You can't enter a room twice if you're still inside the room. Likewise, uh, we see this uh, happen in the ministry of Ezekiel. One more example of the rarity of indwelling in the Old Testament comes from the New Testament, actually. 1 Peter 1, uh, verse 10 and 11. Maybe I can have somebody help us out and read this for us. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, inquiring to know what time or what kind of time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he was predicting the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. All right. And how do we see that the Holy Spirit, well, we're talking about the prophets, right? The prophets of the Old Testament. Okay, so we're, now we're back in the Old Testament. How do we know from this passage that the Holy Spirit indwelt the prophets? They prophesied based on what? Grace. Okay. Yes. The Spirit of Christ was within them. So the grace uh, that they prophesied of, their ministry of prophecy, uh, those were all the results of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So the wording here is that the Spirit of Christ, and we know from the rest of the New Testament that the Spirit of Christ is the Holy Spirit. 
because he takes of Christ and gives them to us. It's, it, it is not just the ghost of Christ or something like that. It's not what it's talking about. It's the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit whose main identity is in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. That's why he has that name. It's, it's like saying, uh, it's, it's the same reason why he's called the Holy Spirit, because he's distinct. He's God. So also the Spirit of Christ, that's a title for the Holy Spirit. And the Ho Holy Spirit was within them. The Holy Spirit was within them. What's striking is that he's called the Spirit of Christ in reference to the Old Testament and the prophecies of the Old Testament. Why is that? Well, because even then, even in the writing of the Old Testament, we looked at this, I think, in the first or second week, even in the writing of the Old Testament, the focus was on the coming Messiah, was on Christ. And so even here, in reference to the prophets of old, it was the spirit of Christ. It was his, that was his main ministry. It wasn't just a spirit of you know, the Ten Commandments or something like that, or the spirit of the law. That's not his identity in the Old Testament. Striking, isn't it? That even then, that was his uh, primary uh, ministry. That was his, you can refer to him uh, in that way during the times of the Old Testament. Okay, so empowering was rare. Oh, excuse me, uh, indwelling was rare. And then the next point, empowering was the norm. So indwelling was rare, but we see a lot of activity of the Holy Spirit. How do we describe that? Well, one helpful word is the word empowering. Empowering. So by far the most common work of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament was ascribed as coming upon specific people. And this was for the purpose of empowerment for a specific service or purpose of God. For example, uh, Numbers 11. Uh, speaking to Moses regarding the elders of the tribes of Israel, God says, then I will come down and speak with you there, and I will take the Spirit who is upon you and put him upon them. That is the elders of the tribes of Israel. And they shall bear the burden of the people with you so that you will not bear it alone. So leadership is a heavy burden. God knows this. He helps and uh, condescends, accommodates the limitations of Moses he says, I'll give you elders, uh, I'll, I'll use these elders to, uh, to lead and guide the people of Israel. And notice that uh, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit, was already upon Moses. And he says, just like the Spirit is upon you for your ministry of leading Israel and judging them, so I will put the Holy Spirit upon them, the elders. This is the most common word, most common Hebrew term for the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the saints of the Old Testament. So we have it here. There's a number of them. We're just going to look at three. This is one. The other one comes from Numbers 24. Numbers 24, verse 2. And Balaam lifted up his eyes and saw Israel dwelling tribe by tribe. And the Spirit of God, there's the Holy Spirit, came upon him. 
Now, what's striking is, is Balaam, right? He's not an Israelite, not, not by a long shot. And uh, even here, in order to accomplish the purpose of God, the Holy Spirit of God came upon Balaam. So this coming upon is not equated with regeneration or salvation. It's not. It's just a coming upon for a specific, to carry out a specific end of God. God has a plan and he needs to use this person in a special, uh, empowered way uh, to accomplish God's purpose. And so he's going to send his spirit upon that person, not save them necessarily, not regenerate them, not make them one of his people or a saint or whatever you want to call it. But he just came upon them to accomplish a specific mission. This is common in the Old Testament. And that's where it gets tricky, right? For us reading the Old Testament, we see the Holy Spirit and we, we import our experience, our understanding, our new covenant understanding of, well, when the Spirit shows up, if the Spirit is with somebody, then that means you're saved, right? Well, no, it's not the same. It's not the same. They're, they're under a different covenant. First of all, and not only that, but uh, they, in these instances, the Holy Spirit doesn't indwell them. He comes upon them. There's a difference. Judges, one more. Judges. Uh, this is uh, the judge Samson. We see the empowering nature of the Holy Spirit coming upon somebody when he came to Lehi, the Philistines shouted as they met him, that is, Lazarus. And the Spirit of Yahweh came upon him, there's that word, came upon him mightily so that the ropes that were on his arms were as flax, that is, burned with fire, and his bonds dropped from his hands. And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, so he, so he sent forth his hand and took it and struck down 1,000 men with it. The jawbone of a donkey. We see Samson here empowered in a supernatural way because of the coming upon the empowering of the Holy Spirit. This is the normal function of the Holy Spirit uh, when he does show up in a special way. It's not indwelling. That's extremely rare. Just a few instances in all of the Old Testament. When the Holy Spirit shows up and, and empowers somebody or... Uh, 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 give somebody uh, a special measure of grace or empowerment for a specific ministry. It is this residing upon. This residing upon. And we alluded to this earlier. One more thing about uh, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament is that this empowering or this indwelling, either one, whichever one you want to choose, uh, was not permanent. It was not permanent. Again, the example of Ezekiel, as we mentioned before, in Ezekiel 2, verse 2 and 3, the Spirit entered me. In Ezekiel 2, verse 2 and verse 2, and then Ezekiel 3, verse 24, once again, then the Spirit entered me. It's a separate occasion, separate results. So it's a separate event. And so obviously, once again, just to remind you, 
you cannot enter the same room twice without going outside, right? You cannot enter twice without exiting. Uh, so it was temporary. We see this also in the life of David. The life of David. First Samuel verse 16, or chapter 16, verse 13, excuse me. First Samuel 16, 13 says, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him, that's David, in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of Yahweh came mightily upon David from that day forward. And Samuel arose and went to Ramah. So here we see just the common ministry of the Holy Spirit uh, in the life of David. It was a coming upon and empowering to be king, to be the king of Israel. And at this anointing to be king, the Holy Spirit comes upon, resides upon David. And what's interesting is that it says from that day forward. So there is a special way in which uh, the, the Holy Spirit ministered and empowered David as king, uh, the one uh, who had, a you could say, a special place in the Lord's heart. Uh, his heart was for him, right? Um, we see here the Holy Spirit uh, resides upon, empowers David from that day forward. So why am I referring to this when we're talking about the temporary nature of this uh, indwelling or residing? Well, Psalm 51, 11, uh, alludes to this temporary nature. David knew that he was not owed or promised a permanent Holy Spirit. He knew that, and that's why he prayed in Psalm 51, 11, Do not cast me away from your presence. And do not take your Holy Spirit from me. When he asked that, that is not hyperbole. He's actually asking the Lord in his mercy, Father or God, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Why? Because he saw him do that with Saul. We didn't look at that, but the Holy, the, the Holy Spirit came upon Saul and left Saul. David saw that, and so he knew, I don't want that. And so he prayed, take not your Holy Spirit from me. He knew it was a temporary thing. He knew it wasn't permanent. It wasn't promised. The Holy Spirit wasn't indwelling, residing permanently. And so he prayed in this way. As a new covenant saint, we don't have to pray this way. Yes. Question? And this was after his sin with Bathsheba, correct? Yes. This is... Uh, this is the psalm that he wrote after his sin with Bathsheba uh, in Second uh, Samuel 11. That's right. And so he's very aware of his sin, very aware that he doesn't deserve to have the Holy Spirit residing upon him. Good. Any other questions before we go on to the Holy Spirit in the New Testament? All right. Uh, secondly, the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. And I want to, I, I, I don't want to rush, but I want to rush because of the third point that we have. Um, I think most of this shouldn't be new to us. I'm going to give us a benefit of the doubt, so I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time here on the second point. I'm going to take it for granted 
Maybe that's a mistake, but <laughs> I'm going to take it for granted that you know or have heard these things. I'm just going to give you uh, a framework to think about them and verses to attach to these doctrines that you probably already know. All right. So first of all, when we look at the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, we see that indwelling is universal. So this is going to contrast with the three points in the Old Testament. We're going to see a contrast with the three points for the New Testament. First, the Holy, the Holy Spirit indwelt all believers. It was universal. And I don't mean universal as in believers and unbelievers. I mean all believers. I just had to pick a word to put down. and That's the closest I can get. So when, we, when it comes to God's people, when it comes to the Christian, every Christian is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 9 says, However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. So the Spirit of God is the Spirit of Christ. It's the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit dwells in you. That's the positive way of saying it. Who's the you? He's talking to believers. Those who are not in the flesh but in the Spirit. Those who have been born again. That's the idea. Those who have been born again, born of the Spirit, not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, for all of those, the Holy Spirit dwells within them. And then he says it a negative way. He says it negatively. He says, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. So belonging to Christ comes with Having the Spirit of Christ. And having the Spirit of Christ comes along with belonging to Christ. You can't take those two realities and separate them. You cannot belong to Christ and then not have the Holy Spirit. So also you cannot have the Spirit of Christ and not belong to Him. That's salvation. That's what what a Christian is. One who belongs to Christ. You have been bought with a price, right? Jude uh, 19 says, These are the ones who cause divisions. He's talking about unbelievers, the ones who cause divisions, worldly minded, not having the Spirit. So, worldly minded people, unregenerate people, do not have the Spirit. It's saying it in a negative way. We can say it uh, in a positive way. Heavenly minded people have the Holy Spirit. Who are the only people that can have a heavenly mind or, or dwell on the things above? A Christian, right? So every Christian has the Holy Spirit. So indwelling is universal. Also, indwelling is instantaneous. It's instantaneous. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit is the distinguishing mark of a Christian. Again, we're, we're just taking the... We're kind of taking the same truth, but fleshing it out a little bit more, drawing it to its logical conclusion. If every Christian universally has a Holy Spirit, then there's no Christian that doesn't have the Holy Spirit. Well, then that means there's no phase of the Christian life whether in the middle or at the beginning, as some would say, 
There's no period, no probation period of the Christian life where you don't have the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 9, again. Uh, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. When does that happen? When do you go from being in the flesh to in the Spirit? When does that happen? When you're born again, at conversion. And so, if that's true, then when does the Spirit of God dwell in you? At conversion, when you're born again. See? There's no in-between period. No in-between time. If you're born again, you have the Spirit. If you're born of the Spirit, John 3, we looked at that last week. If you're regenerated, born of the Spirit, then you're indwelt by the Spirit. He doesn't change you and then, you know, leave and then come back later to check on you. That's not what he does. He changes you and then indwells you. I mean, you could say he changes you so that he can indwell you, right? Um, Romans 8, 14, 15, a little further on in the chapter. Romans 8, 14, 15 says, As many as are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. So being led by the Spirit are the same people that are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery. Here's that indwelling, receiving the Spirit. You have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. So he, he, notice he's talking about adoption. That's the theme. Sons of God, adoption as sons, right? That's the theme of this, of this passage. And he says, when we think about adoption, uh, when were you adopted by God? At the point of regeneration. And that's what it means to be born of God, right? It's to become a child of God. You're born of your mother, you're a child of your mother. You're born of your father, you're a child of your father, right? The same thing spiritually. You're born of God, you're a child of God. And he says, you receive the spirit of adoption. That is, at the point of your adoption, you receive the Holy Spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit came and indwelt you uh, to communicate. um, That's the best word for it, really. To communicate, and I don't mean just speak and you listen, but to uh, be that connection point of the doctrine or reality of your adoption and your experience of adoption. Theologically, that's what communication is. You have this doctrine of adoption, where I'm a child of the Most High God. I am the the Son of God. Uh, Christ is my elder brother, right? Uh, I am in the family of God. Those are all wonderful truths, but I'm over here living day to day, and, and I need to experience that. I need to... Uh, uh, sense that adoption. I need to enjoy and utilize that adoption. Well, how do I do that? Well, I cry out, Father, right? How, how does that happen? What's the connection point between the doctrine and your life? It's called communication. 
It's the communication ministry of the Holy Spirit. That's his primary function, is to communicate your redemption and, your, and everything that is outflowing from the gospel to communicate all of redemption to you so that you experience it. He's that link. And this is what happens when you're saved. He indwells you so that he can communicate your adoption to you. So that you can cry out as a spirit cries out within you, Abba, Father. Okay. Lastly, in this point, Indwelling is permanent. Indwelling is permanent. And this comes from especially John 14, verse 16 and 17, our, our kind of theme verse for the morning. Uh, again, Jesus says, I will ask the Father, he will give you another advocate, that he may be with you forever. That he may be with you forever. And then he says, the spirit of truth, verse 17, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. You know him because he abides with you and will be in you. He abides with you and will be in you. And he describes that abiding and, or, and, and even the indwelling as with you forever. So this indwelling of the Holy Spirit, both of these are future tense. He will be in you at the end of verse 17, and then here in verse 16, he may be with you. He will be with you forever. That's stretching on into the future. So this indwelling, the future aspect of the indwelling is connected to the future aspect of the forever being with us. So this helper, this advocate, this comforter, however you want to describe the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, uh, called here the spirit of, of truth in verse 17, was already with them but would be in them. And, of course, this is that radical shift from the old covenant to the new covenant. This is probably the main shift, one of the main things, uh, aside from, um, well, this is one of the main things uh, in the New Covenant, uh, is the indwelling, the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Remember, in the Old Testament, it was rare. It was mainly not... Uh, indwelling was rare, and, and the ministry, was, a ministry of the Spirit was mainly residing upon, not indwelling, and even that was temporary. Here, uh, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in the New Covenant which is bought by the blood of Christ, mind you, which is what we remember today as we take part of uh, the Lord's Supper. One of the things that we rejoice in, Christian, is that the Holy Spirit dwells in you. That's a promise. That's a reality. And he uh, will always be with you. He will always be with you. He will never leave you. That's how Jesus can say, I will never leave you nor forsake you. It's because he's always with us through the Holy Spirit. Uh, that's how Jesus could say, even in the context here of John 14, I do not leave you as orphans. 
to the disciples because he's going to be with them uh, through the Holy Spirit. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3.16, one more. 1 Corinthians 3.16, Do you not know that you are a sanctuary of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? So being the sanctuary of God uh, comes with uh, dwelling in us. Uh, this shows us the permanence of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit because if the Holy Spirit does not dwell in us, then we cease to be the sanctuary of God. This is not true. That, that does not happen in the life of the true born-again believer. He is not the sanctuary of God one day and then not the sanctuary of God another day. He's not a Christian one day and then not a Christian another day. If the Holy Spirit dwells in you, you are the sanctuary of God. That's what you are at all times, Christian. All right, so before I go on to the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the believer, any questions about that change, that shift from the old covenant to the new covenant? It happens at Pentecost. It's inaugurated at Pentecost, and we see it, uh, uh, you could say, ripple out uh, throughout the book of Acts. As we go from Jerusalem, Judea, to Samaria, to the remotest part of the earth, we see the ministry of the Holy Spirit uh, indwelling his believers throughout Acts. Yes? I would say, um, at times, we don't feel it. So it causes us, I think for me, it causes me to think, am I? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you bring up a good point. Uh, we, we know that we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, but we don't feel indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about that uh, in the weeks to come with uh, fullness of the Holy Spirit. And I think sometimes we might, may, maybe, I mean, it's a case-by-case basis, but at times we think, we equate the two, um, being filled with the Holy Spirit and being indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Being filled is being controlled and being dominated by um, indwelling is just always happening. Um, and whether or not we feel filled by the Holy Spirit, that's the ebb and flow of the Christian life. That's the peaks and the valleys. And we're actually going to get into the, uh, hopefully, into one part of, of that experience of the Christian, had, the experience that the Christian has of the Holy Spirit. And what can dampen that experience, even? So third, the ministry of the Spirit in the believer. First of all, we see from Scripture that he resides in us. He resides in us. Um, And I'm picking out this specific word, reside. He resides in us. This is the word used um, in Romans 8, 9 through 11. It says... However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if the Spirit of God dwells in you. There's that word. Um, But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. Look at verse 11. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, 
He who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So this word here for dwell, as well as in verse 9, is oikeo. Oikeo. I'm going to try and do this without messing up. Oikeo. It means to dwell, but specifically to dwell as in a house, to reside in a house. It's used in the New Testament for uh, somebody saying, I live in San Jose, but you know, I live in Capernaum, right? That's where they live. That's where they reside. Or to somebody's dwelling, same root word, oikeo. To dwell as in a house, to take up residency, to live in. So here he is saying that the Holy Spirit doesn't just visit the Christian in this indwelling sense. That's not what indwell means. It means to take up residency within the Holy Spirit. Vast difference. Glorious difference. Now, John 14, 17, I, want to, I just brought this up to point you, point to you a contrast. Um, Jesus says, you know him, that's the Holy Spirit, because he abides in you. And then he says, that's what you're used to, but he will be in you. That's within you. Um, he's referring to uh, this doctrine where, we, where it's described in Romans 8 and uses the word dwell. He contrasts that dwelling to what the Old Testament saint was used to, and he describes it as abides with. Now, we might think of um, abide as dwelling in, uh, but that's not the use of the word. It's, it's the Greek word meno. Meno. That means to abide or to remain. It's just to be with. This is the idea. It's not to indwell. It's not to take up residency. There's a vast difference between the two. So even in the wording, in the Greek wording, we see that uh, for you, Christian, the Holy Spirit resides within you. He dwells within you as, as one dwells in a house. Now, what do you do when you move into a house? You, you bring in your furniture. You arrange it just how you want. Maybe you paint the walls or change the carpet because it's your house, right? It's your dwelling. It, it, you want it to make it your own, even if, it's, if you're renting an apartment, right? That's what we naturally do. Uh, you make it your own. And what's that? You occupy it. Uh, it's, it's your home base. It's, it's where, if somebody wants to find you, they go there, right? Uh, and also, if somebody were to walk into your house when you're not there, most would be able to figure out, oh, this is so-and-so's house, right? Because there's, certain, there's a certain style. You might have pictures of you or your family or whoever else in there, and they can figure out who lives there because there are identifying markers. So it is with the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. This indwelling of the Holy Spirit means that he occupies you and he makes himself at home, as it were. 
he makes it so that it's obvious that he lives within the Christian. And the New Testament way of saying that is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That's, those are his furniture, his markings, his pictures on the wall. That's the identifying markers of the Spirit within the believer. Is the fruit of the Spirit. All right, so not only does he reside in us, he communes with us. I was speaking of this earlier. He communes with us. Um, so he is there with us. Um, he is there with the Christian. 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20 says, Do you not know that your body is a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have from God, and that you are not your own. Notice that this residing mark is a marker of fellowship, as well, or not fellowship, ownership as well. You are not your own. Why? Because the, the, the owner lives in you. You were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Now, what does this mean? That the Holy Spirit is in us, and that he communes with us, that he is always with us by, by this function of indwelling. Uh, is he physically inside our bodies? If I have a leg amputated, do I have less of the Holy Spirit or is he more concentrated within me? What if I do donated an organ to an unbeliever? Do they have the Holy Spirit living in them now? I, these are... Questions people ask, especially kids might ask. What, what, what's your response? Well, think about this. The Holy Spirit is present in all his fullness in every part of creation. What that means is, what, that, that's his omnipresence, right? He is present with all of his fullness in every part of creation. That's omnipresence. That it, what that means is that the Holy Spirit exerts direct causal influence everywhere in space and time. Thus, the scripture teaches God's creative and sustaining relationship to the cosmos rather than his physical location in the cosmos. When we see in the, in the scriptures that God is everywhere and that he dwells in the hearts of men, he occupies eternity and things like this, he dwells in the heavens, it's not saying that he's limited to specific locations. What it's talking about is his creative and sustaining relationship with all of creation rather than his physical location in relation to the cosmos. And this is true in space and in time as well because God is not limited by time because, as I mentioned before, time is a created thing. And so he stands outside of time. And likewise, location. To speak of God's awareness, right, or his location, in terms of his physical location in the world, rather than his relationship to the world, uh, has more in common with pantheism. That, uh, and pantheism is God is part of creation. Everything has God in it. Everything is God. That's pantheism. Uh, it, 
speaking of God's location and being in everything in that way, in a locative sense, is pantheism. That's pagan, paganism. Um, it speaks more of that than classical Christian theism. Pantheism holds that God is intrinsically in the world, while classical biblical theism, biblical theology, holds that God properly exists outside of time and space. Nonetheless, nothing in time and space exists apart from God, right? Acts 17, 28, in him we live and move and have our being. What does that mean? We're not living inside the belly of God. That's pantheism. That's paganism. What it means, in him we live and move and have our being, it means that we live and move and have our being, every part about us is in relation to God. Finds its prime reference point in God, the creator. So, the danger of ascribing physical location to the person of the Holy Spirit is that it logically implies that the Holy Spirit is by nature a material being. Remember, the Holy Spirit is what? Spirit. He's not a material being. So here, when it says the Holy Spirit who is in you, it's ascribing a personal relationship rather than a physical location. Thus, to say that the Holy Spirit is in you is not to point out where the Holy Spirit is physically located, but rather to point out that we have come into a special, intimate, personal relationship with him through repentance and faith. So is he with you wherever you go? Yes. But uh, is he in you in the sense of, you know, he's in me here, but not there? No, we're not talking about location. We use this terminology today all the time, right? Uh, the, uh, Somebody goes on a faraway journey, you're in my heart as you go. Are they physically in your heart? No. There is a special intimate relationship that I hold to and that we have that, doesn't, that isn't severed no matter where I go or where you go, right? So far from making, um, uh, far from making this impersonal and, and, and removing it, right, from him being in me lo- locationally, this actually deepens our relationship with the Holy Spirit, deepens our understanding of this indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I mean, think of it. In John 10, 38, Jesus says, the Father is in me and I in the Father, right? He's not speaking of physical location there, right? No, he's talking about intimacy of relationship. And what's wonderful is that Christ says, the Father is in me and I in the Father. We are brought into that relationship because we are in Christ Christ is in us the Holy Spirit is in us right we are brought into that intimate relationship of the Trinity it's amazing and our entrance point is the personal work of Jesus Christ so he communes with us he lives in us and then uh, he sanctifies us he sanctifies us first Corinthians 
3, 16, and 17, do you not know that you are a sanctuary of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys a sanctuary of God, God will destroy him. For the sanctuary of God is holy, and that is what you are. Just as the last phrase, the sanctuary of God is holy, and that is what you are. What is what you are? Holy. So the sanctuary of God is holy. You are holy. Why? Because you're a sanctuary of God. On what grounds am I the sanctuary of God? God dwells in you. See? So the simple reality that the Holy Spirit dwells in the believer makes the believer holy or sanctified or set apart. Just like God did to the ground uh, around the burning bush when he, when he uh, revealed himself to Moses. What did he say? This is holy ground. Remove your sandals. It's the same molecular dirt, but it's holy. Why? Because God's there. Oh, Christian, that's you. That's wonderful, isn't it? That is you. You are holy, for God is in you. And we're not talking about practical, you know, holiness as in how you live. We're talking about your identity. Your identity. Your classification is is maybe a good word. The mere presence of God reclassifies you as a sanctuary, the holy sanctuary of God. Wow. Stunning. Now, the, the result of that is What's, what's the application of that? It's sanctification. Do you not know that your body is a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, that you are not your own? You were bought with a price. Therefore, what do I do? Glorify God in your body. That's why sanctuaries exist. It's the place of worship, right? The sanctuary is the place of worship. That's what you are. You are the place of worship of God. That means that you live a holy life, demonstrating the worthiness of God. Um, This also deals with grieving the Holy Spirit. Mm. I'm going to end on this point, and then I'll, I'll leave the rest. It's fine. We'll deal with it another time. Um. The other, the, the other side of the coin of his sanctifying ministry, how does he sanctify us? Well, it, it's, it's through this uh, thing that we do to the Spirit when we, when we grieve him. In Ephesians 4.30, it says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by, which, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. This, uh, this grieving of the Holy Spirit is a way to uh, encourage and promote holiness or sanctification in the Christian life. To transform you from glory to glory, to make you more like Christ. That God, as it were, writes in to the program uh, this dynamic, where when you sin, the Holy Spirit is grieved. And when the Holy Spirit is grieved, that's not fun. 
to put it trivially. So when we fail to obey the teachings of the Holy Spirit in Scripture, when we fail to obey the teachings of the Holy Spirit in Scripture, or when we resist His governing and leading through the Word, or when we give in to our own sin and foolishness, we grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Now, Richard Sibbs, uh, the Puritan Richard Sibbs, is the go-to guy for the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. So I would encourage you, if, if you want to learn more, go to him. If you want to go to Owen, it's a little harder. I mean, he has a whole book on it, but uh, the details of it are a little harder to trace down. Um, but Richard Sibbs is really, really good. So Sibbs wrote that uh, more than the, the, the sins of the unbelieving, more than the sins of, of the unbelieving world, the sins of professing Christians grieve the Spirit the most. Right? Ephesians 4, 30. He's talking to Christians. Christians are the ones who grieve the Holy Spirit in a special way. He wrote that uh, the offense of friends grieves more than the injuries of enemies, don't they? Doesn't it hurt more when your close friend or your loved one hurts you or offends you? More so than somebody just cuts you off on the road and flips you off or something like that, right? I mean, that you can just let go. I hope. <laughs> I hope. Or somebody cuts in line at the grocery store. That you can let go, I hope. But uh, man, if a friend does something against you, man, that sticks and it hurts, doesn't it? So it is with the Holy Spirit. That's your relationship with him. It hurts him personally. It grieves him when we sin. Also, Sibs pointed out uh, a way uh, that we grieve the Holy Spirit that might surprise us. It's not just when we you know, fail to obey the scriptures, when we resist his governing and leading in the world, through the word, uh, when we give in to our sin and foolishness. It's not just that, but even we can become sinfully busy he says, we commonly grieve the Spirit of God when the mind is troubled with a multitude of busyness. When the soul is like a mill or a factory where one person cannot hear another. The noise is such that it removes all communication. Wow, that's, that's really, that's really, I think we need to hear that in our society, in, in our lives. Uh, I was speaking to a pastor, another pastor that, that uh, ministers in San Jose, and he, he, uh, we were just chatting, and he pointed this, this out, this dynamic, that it seems in this area, in this region, we are just so, so busy. And he said, you know, I, I think we're even sinfully busy. And I was like, what do you mean? How can we get sinfully busy? Then I read this. You see, when you're so busy in life and you don't have a moment and you don't have time to read the word and pray 
and meditate on the word and just think of God. If you don't have that time, if you're crowding out that time, you're grieving the spirit. Why? Because his ministry is to teach us and to remind us of all the things that Christ said, right? That's what, that's what John 15, 14, 15, and 16 tell us. That's his primary ministry. It's word ministry. And so if we're so busy and we, just, we, we make our, our lives, as it were, so noisy, then how can we hear the Spirit of God? How can we, 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 how can we quiet our hearts to where he can actually minister to us? If we resist him in that way, we grieve him. Striking. To grieve the Holy Spirit is really to quiet his testimony within us and to hinder his ministry to us. That's why I say when we grieve the Holy Spirit, it's not fun. When we grieve the Holy Spirit, we quiet his testimony and we hinder his ministry. Richard Sibbs des- describes the grieving o- the Holy Spirit like this. What great unkindness, yea, treachery, to leave the direction of a friend and follow the counsel of an enemy. When you try and go your own way, you are leaving behind the counsel the guidance of a friend, the Holy Spirit. And you're following the counsel of the enemy, the world, and the flesh, and sin. Well, Christian, I I hope that this instills within you, I I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit that way. Look at all he does for me. Uh, Look look what he does. His his ministry is is this. He, He is in your heart crying, Abba, Father, he, he, Richard Sibbs describes this as the Spirit knits us to the Father and the, and the Son and all the communion that God has with us and we with God is by the Holy Spirit. For the Spirit is the bond of union between Christ and us and between us and God and us. He is that union. He is that communion. That, that linking point of communion between us and God. And so when you grieve the Holy Spirit, you quiet that. What does that look like? Well, you, lack of assurance, lack of fellowship, lack of closeness and intimacy with God. Psalm 51 is another ministry of the Holy Spirit. Uh, do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take away your spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. This is what the Holy Spirit does. Part of his ministry, Christian, is to give you joy. In Christ. That is to satisfy you with the fullness of Christ. That's why David pled with God. Don't take that from me. I'm enjoying you so much, God. Don't take that from me. Isn't that wonderful? Yes. In your presence there is fullness of joy. When is God with us? How is God with us? Through the Holy Spirit. How do we diminish that fullness of joy? When we grieve the Holy Spirit. When we grieve Him. So, uh, last quote. Joel Beakey, 
writes, it is as if he captures us. This is the Holy Spirit. It is as if he captures us and lifts us up to know the Father and the Son's love for us. The Holy Spirit lifts us to see by faith the crucified and resurrected Jesus seated in glory. That is why the Spirit comes, and that is how he functions in our lives. Praise God for that. May we not grieve him, right? Whether it's by sin or even just by busyness. May we not grieve the Holy Spirit. May we, uh, it's actually called, the Puritans call it, may we entertain the Holy Spirit. I like that. Well, next week we're going to look at the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It should be a wonderful time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for giving us your Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, that he would continue to work in our hearts, sanctifying us, making us more like Christ, uh, giving us a joy of our salvation in Christ. Oh, Lord, uh, I pray that, uh, that the Holy Spirit would come in, special, in a special way, in a special power in this next hour as we worship together, as we hear the preaching of the word. Uh, fill your servants and fill us, Lord, as we remember Christ. May it be a wonderful time as we gather around the table. We pray this in his name. Amen.